there, chatters. I'm Nat. And I'm Kat, and welcome to the Ho 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 Crime Chat. I'm your forensic femme fatale, Natalie, is your true crime addict connoisseur. We're just two normal girls that obsess about dark crimes, evil minds, and occasionally the unknown. Even at Christmas time. Yes. And here's mm-hmm. your disclaimer chatters. The following crime chat contains adult content and descriptions of, yes, violent scenarios today. It will be interesting. Mm-hmm. So your listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. And before we get into today's crime chat, Kat, what have you done? We finished Mindhunter. You did. Did you like it? Yes. Uh, left on the edge. I mean, they're in the middle of tracking BTK. They yeah. just got Wayne Williams. We talked about Wayne Williams last yes. week. They uh, laid a child killer, right? Yeah. They, they just got him. Okay. Ed Kemper keeps popping up every now and then. Yeah. Oh, and so I was like, and I remember you saying that there's another season coming out. So I looked it up. It's actually on hold indefinitely. Well, well, uh, what does that mean? So some canceled? of the comments- Like, what the fuck does that mean? Not canceled. Um, the actors were released from the contract to be able to do other things. Okay. It means they probably will do a season three, but there's no sketch. It's not in the schedule right now. So uh-huh. the creator or director or somebody has to do with Netflix money was like, we went down in viewership and it didn't, it's an expensive show to do. And it, and it, it, it basically the revenue wasn't, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. That is disappointing. But other than that, we also watched the movie Bullet Train. Have you seen previews for that on Netflix? Never even heard of it. So I remember seeing previews for it and I I can't remember like how long ago, but when mm. I saw it pop up, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that movie. It's got Brad Pitt in it, Michael Shannon. I don't know if you know who who that is. When you see his face, you'll like, you're like, oh, okay, I recognize him. Okay. It's got a cameo from Sandra Bullock. It's a murderous comedy. <laughs> okay. That takes place on, you've heard of the bullet train, like the really, really fast train in Japan. Yes. Okay. Oh my God. Yes, yes, yes. Now I know the movie you're talking about, right? Is it yes. funny? Yes, okay. yes. It's it's cute comedy, got some mm. twists in it, a lot of murders, a lot of killings, a lot of blood. And it's a comedy because I remember he, it's a comedy. he's on the train and some, people are trying to kill him the whole time or something yeah. like that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's worth the watch. What okay. about you? I actually took your recommendation and I started watching Wednesday. What do you think? I love it. Isn't it adorable? I love it. It's, <laughs> it's adorable. Like, it's dark, like dark enough to get my interest, but mm-hmm. super adorable. Like I'm not, I mean, we've talked about this. I'm not a lovey-dovey romantic movie person. Like, right. oh, cutesy tootsy. Mm-hmm. If it's got a little twist to it, then I'm all about it. And Wednesday is great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a Hallmark person. Uh, no, you know what? I used Did to you? be like, what is it? what is the thing that you see i'm either watching christmas movies or serial killer documentaries i'm either slaying or slaying (laughs) i never Uh, i don't know i just i felt i always felt that hallmark was always like one trick pony same story different different town no same town same town it's always in colorado (laughs) it's always in the alps it's always in some yeah um although i am a candace cameron Bure fan i love her to pieces i love her when she was off of full house oh yes okay yes yeah Mm -hmm. i i so i like grew up with with like her Cameron and Candace Cameron and stuff. So I like, I absolutely adore her and mm. she's in so many of those movies, <laughs> but I haven't watched it in like, I haven't watched those in like forever, but I am in the Christmas spirit. If you're watching the video, I have my Christmas tree behind me, not my yes. Christmas tree, but my green screen <laughs> Christmas tree. And I got my little Santa hat on with some snowflakes on uh-huh. it. So I'm in the Christmas spirit. And you have crime chat all over your face. I do. I do. I wore my crime chat palette. I've got a little holiday sparkle in me with the Marilyn glitter and some of the <laughs> bloodbathery and mm-hmm. Black Dahlia on my face. 
And I am wearing Mad Love lipstick as well. What color is that Mad oh, Love lipstick? This one is called Unbothered. Love it. It's oh got my like God. A, a pink on one end and then like a red on the other end. So it's a dual lip gloss, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's it's lovely. I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling very filled with the holiday spirit. I told my husband the other day, and the last couple of years have been like really rough around the holidays, but mm -hmm. this he's like i guess he never really noticed because i always do the decorations and i'll do the wrapping and you know and i do a lot of that type of stuff and i was like you know you can show and you can like do all these things it doesn't mean you like feel it no yeah but i i might i'm kind of all about it this year are you good yeah good yeah. so are you done with your christmas shopping almost i actually bought a couple other little things today mm -hmm. have a couple other little things to get mm -hmm. what about you i am not done with my christmas shopping i kind of I'm like 20% there. I did a lot of Amazon shopping. So like, that's sure. like what I'm going to do this year, what I do every year. So like, yeah. I just, I let Amazon do the wrapping. Yeah. Yeah. The delivery. You it's, know how much uh, money I save in delivery? That was, I was listening to something on the radio today, like serious radio. And they were like, Amazon is taking over our lives and she's listening and yada, yada, yada. I'm like, but she makes life so much easier. Like, I'm okay. I'm not that interesting that I'm worried about somebody listening. Like, I'm not. <laughs> What, they're just gonna say oh my god she's she's crazy or she's boring yeah. or whatever yeah. but i don't mind alexa <laughs> listening i'm okay with that if she, if she can remind me to pick up toilet paper i'm like not a problem girl thank you thank for, you have my yes. back thank you alexa i wonder if she hears she's okay, sitting so, right okay. now i was gonna say i wonder if she's listening because mine's right across in the oh. in our bedroom <laughs> she's still a nosy bitch Yes. But she's, yes. she's useful. Very useful. Amazon is a lifesaver. And, you know, it just, it does. It makes it so much easier. Absolutely. Okay. So before you get into your uh, Christmas murders, crime chat, whatever, I didn't yeah. read your story. I have no idea where you're going over. So today we had a, I don't know if you were watching the news, mm -hmm. but when Kat and I were going over season two stories to do, this was like one of my stories. And mm -hmm. ironically, it was solved today. Like it wasn't yes. solved, but they were identified yes. today. And it was such like a, I just can't like, you know what? I'll just include that in my story when I do the story, yeah. but I got to go over it. I'm just so happy. I'm elated. Yes. It's uh, one of those stories that you're like, finally, yeah. there is, it's, it's not a conclusion, but some sort of resolution. Yes. It's like, yeah. it's like they found something out on John Bonet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Something. Give That's us something. not it, but it's like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. On February 26, 1957, a deceased child was found inside a box in the wooded area of Northeast Philadelphia. Mm. Does it sound familiar? It does. Poor baby. Yeah. His age was estimated to be between four and six. The boy appeared to be malnourished and his body bore signs of recent and past trauma. Mm. Officials said in his short life, it appeared that the child experienced horrors that no one should ever be subject to. Authorities asked for help from the public to identify the boy, but no one ever came forward to claim the child. If you remember, they did have public viewings of this child in the coroner's office, mm -hmm. like in the examiner's office they did allow the public to walk in mm -hmm. and see the body see if they recognize the child mm -hmm. they even propped the kid up in like a seated position in order for them to kind of maybe that would help trigger something or a memory in the public or if they can right. identify this boy right. they sketched his face they even like did a sketch with his eyes open they really did mm -hmm. a lot back then in order to figure out who this poor child was yeah the case 
case had become one of the city's oldest unsolved homicides. And for 65 years, this boy was called the boy in the box. Yep. And would also be known as America's unknown child. Mm -hmm. So originally, the city buried uh, the boy in Potter's Field. And in 1998, they exhumed the body for DNA, which they got from the enamel on the tooth. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they got nothing out of it. That, I think, also, the DNA, as you know, like, it degrades over mm-hmm. time so yeah. I guess with that at that point in 1998 it, the technology really wasn't as sophisticated as it is today I mean that was like and 25 years ago and just think how far we've gotten in the advancement of technology and stuff since then I know so they reburied him and in Ivy Hill Cemetery and then they exhumed him again in 2019 mm-hmm. to retrieve more DNA samples now I think this time they were more specific they, they collected more evidence they reported that this time not only did they take DNA samples from the teeth but they also took it from the skull Mm -hmm. and police this morning I don't know if you watched the news Mm. but this morning they were able to identify the boy from the 2019 test sample yes and they also collected his birth certificate wow which is a bonus yeah yes I mean (laughs) if they find out who he is and then get a good estimate on his date range they probably you know they and I think a lot of those records and stuff have become digitalized too yeah Yes. Some sucker in the basement is the one responsible for scanning in all the hard copies. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh my God. So the boy in the box, his name is Joseph Augusta Zarelli. Mm. Rest in peace, baby. Rest in peace. He was born January 13th, 1953. He was a little over four years old when he died. Mm. I know. Both parents were listed on the birth certificate, but the detectives would not identify the boy's parents for two reasons. One, because the kid did have siblings who are still currently alive, and they wanted to respect their privacy. Mm -hmm. And also that it's an open investigation, and they didn't want to identify who the parents were yet. Yeah. You know, are the parents still alive? Probably not. I'm assuming not. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so. But I mean, family trees and everything like that, you know. Parents can can still be alive. I mean, they can be 80, 90 years old. Sure. So if it was a 65-year-old case and he was four years old, he'd, he would have been 69 now. Siblings would have put him probably in their 70s. So, I mean, maybe yeah. in the nine, Maybe. Yeah. Seriously. Although, not to point fingers or anything, but if it was the parents, I hope they're rotting in hell. I know. <laughs> I know. Seriously. And uh, but, but when I think of, like, 80s today or 90s, I mean, ever since I moved to Florida, I have a whole new respect for somebody in their 80s because I work with people. I think the oldest person I work with is, like, 86 or 87 years old. Wow. This person does more than a 30-year-old. I mean, <laughs> so it, I, it really depends on your mindset and you're just taking care of yourself. It's... Well, yeah, and I think it it was a different upbringing, I think, too, Mm -hmm. where they're used to working, and that's that's just what you did. You needed to put food on your table, and and you worked. I mean, not that people don't work now, but I think it's just society, like, culturally, it's a little bit different. Yes, absolutely. So, now, police don't know exactly who is responsible for his death right obviously so it is an active homicide investigation but i will tell you that one the forensic experts that use this dna they did use a whole new technology in genetic testing and genealogy yay genetic genealogy yes they were, and you spoke about this once before in another, in season one. Yeah. The doctor got on there. So, so, okay. So you have to watch the press conference because one, the detective, he gives zero fucks. 
and he, he's a hottie, okay? So he just looks like the guy who's right for the job. He you means know, business. He, just, he means business. And I just had, yeah. like, confidence. I'm like, oh, this guy should be in charge of John Bonet. Like, this is the dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. And when the when the reporter was asking these questions, like, well, how did you know this? And how did you get that? And da 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 he didn't even bother answering the question. He was just like, can I have a scientist up here, please? <laughs> and he had the scientist come up, and the scientist yeah. was like, listen, the type of DNA testing that we used, not only were we able to collect the birth certificate from this child, but we were able to, on the maternal side and the paternal side, actually funnel straight to who this child was, and we know who the cousins are, we know who mm-hmm. the grandparents are, we, yep. we know them all at this point. We have the entire family tree. Which is freaky as hell because we're always yeah. talking about Alexa taking over our lives. And now <laughs> it's like, you know what? I want to do the 21 in me. I want to know. <laughs> uh, well, have you, you haven't done any DNA? No. Or anything like that? Okay. So, yeah, my family, we've done ancestry DNA. Okay. Yeah. Who are you related and to? Nobody no? Like, no crazy. that you would know. Okay. No crazy, like, <laughs> homicidal. <laughs> <laughs> there hasn't been anybody that I'm aware of. I mean, I found, like, super distant cousins. So, like, my mom was adopted, so there's a lot of, like, gene- genealogy on her side that she didn't even know of. Like, she mm-hmm. was raised as a as an only child, but she actually has brothers and sisters that were out there. And so there's, like, mo- a lot more to that, which is kind of... That's interesting. Part of the... Yeah, part oh. of the, the neat things. But we don't... As far as I know, there's no serial killers. No? I, no. <laughs> but I do have family from my, my paternal side. Surname is Fillingham, and there's a Fillingham Castle in England. Oh, so, so you may have owned a castle at one point in your life. Fillingham's. That's the Fillingham's cool. from England. <laughs> and then my mom, and that's my, so that's my dad's side. My mom's side is, of course, we've talked Sicilian, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think one of my cousins uh, did the uh, ancestry, and she did our family tree. And she, what she found out is that we were somehow related to the Hatfields. The what? Ir- yeah, my Irish side of the family is somehow yeah. related to the Hatfields. And I, I mean, like you know, Hatfields mm-hmm. and McCoys. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. We're feisty. Wow. Yeah. Well, Zarella, baby Zarella, rest mm-hmm. in peace. Yes. And I feel confident we'll be able to, to find out a little bit more about what happened. Once you identify, you know, it's it's very difficult yeah. if you don't have them identified. But once they've identified who it is, it's things are starting. The train's starting to go. You know what I mean? The, yeah. They're pushing the coal in the engine and it's moving along. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you got the right detective. I'm telling you, you got to check this dude out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so my story today is an interesting one. I am going to be talking about the Christmas tree farm murders. Never heard of it. You might when I kind of get through the story, but it, okay. there's twists, there's twists, there's turns, there's okay. drama. All right. But while I was researching this story, I did not realize how many, like, Christmas tree horror movies were out there. And I'm, I'm on the Patreon, I'll post some movie posters. Yeah. Like the Christmas tree coming alive and coming yeah. to get you. And it, it reminds me of like the three headed shark movies. Yes. Like the sci fi. Sharknado. Shark. Shark- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but today we're going to go over the Christmas tree farm murders. And you, so you've not heard of it. 
No, 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 no. Okay. I haven't. So wait, it's, it's ironic though, just a little bit. Okay, so before we get into the story, it's funny that you should mention that there are like uh, Christmas movies out there that are scary and you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. I just watched that movie, Violent Night. Violent Night, yes. Is it good? Fucking amazing. But yes. it, it's it's <laughs> weird because it's Santa. Yeah, is like the guy dishing out the kick ass. Yeah, and it's just. So weird. I love those like. The, those kind of movies like Bad Santa and like twists, right. you know, the, uh, not the traditional happy-go-lucky. Oh, you know, we talked about the Hallmark movies yes. and all that. But oh <laughs> <laughs> Well, every holiday season, more than 75 million Americans take part in decorating a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Most probably don't think about where the tree comes from, but today's story goes deep into the Blue Ridge Mountain Range of North Carolina. Known as Pine Tree Heaven, North Carolina is one of two leading states of Christmas tree production, and the other state is Oregon. Now, in the community of Grassy Creek, North Carolina, the people are proud about their trees. Mm -hmm. And every year, there's a contest among the Christmas tree farmers, and this is held by the National Christmas Tree Growers Association. Yes, there is such a thing. (laughs) The winner of this competition supplies the White House Christmas tree. Oh, cool. Okay. All right. Now, while the contest can be fierce, everyone knows everybody in this simple town of Grassy Creek. The Hudler family Christmas farm won uh, one year this competition during the Clinton administration. And I'll put it on the Patreon, but there's a picture of the owner of the Hudler Christmas tree farm with Hillary Clinton that year when they won it and they were escorting the tree to the White House. Oh, scandalous. So the Hudlers were among the wealthiest families in Ashe County, North Carolina, and had an estimated 1 million trees on their farms and harvested about 100,000 Fraser firs a year. It's a lot of trees. Yeah. However, there was a killer in their midst, hiding in plain sight as one of their own. Originally, it was thought this killer may have been done by a gang of people from outside of the area. Uh This was not the case. Uh On the morning of the killings, it was a quiet day on the tree farm in expansive operations in Virginia, North Carolina, that Ron Hudler, the owner, ran with his three sons, Bill, Fred, and Dale. The harvest had been over for about a month because it was in January and it was all about kind of getting ready for spring. So on January 24, 2008, a 911 call rang out at 11.53 a.m. The caller, in an obvious state of stress, tells the dispatcher, quote, I don't know what happened, but they've both been shot, end quote. The call was made by Bill Hudler, the youngest son of the Christmas tree farm owner. The last road in the county before hitting the Virginia state line is kind of where this house was located on. Uh Well, part of the farm, I should say. Sheriff James Williams responds and describes the scene as one of the worst he had seen, saying it was surreal. The first thing Williams sees is a body in the driveway. Like, as soon as he drives up, there's, like, this body on the driveway with an obvious gunshot wound to the head. Oh, my God. Like, execution style. Bill Hudler tells the sheriff that the victim in the driveway is his older brother, 44-year-old Fred Hudler. The officers open the garage, kind of trying to clear the scene, right? And then they Mm -hmm. find another body. Bill identified this victim as one of the farm's supervisors, John Miller Jr., a well-liked 25 year-old with a new wife and a newborn baby the Hudlers actually welcomed John into like their family tree farm business to help him out because he was a construction worker okay. got laid off while he was in a slump kind of in the 2008 housing market crash yeah so not much work to be done the Hudler family kind of welcomes him in and he does well it becomes a supervisor he'd only actually been working there for a few months near John's body in the garage were carpet squares some kind of seeping up the blood on the garage floor where he had been bleeding out now put a nugget in that 
for now. Okay. Williams also notices the, a large safe in the back of the garage with the key still in the lock. The initial motive did appear to be robbery, and they started to put the pieces together. Like, maybe, okay, so if it's a robbery, who knows about the safe here? Mm-hmm. As police entered the home, they found yet another body. This was identified as 74-year-old Ron Hudler, the oh. owner of the Christmas tree farm and beloved, well-known member of the Grassy Creek community. And the person showing the police where to go is the son at this point? It's the... Well, the son, the son didn't... Bill, he didn't <laughs> know his father was inside. Oh, okay. So oh. he he literally just pulled up, saw his brother. Oh, my God. And automatically called 911. That's terrible. Okay. For son Bill, it was yet another piercing of his heart. Now his father, his brother, and friend were all murdered. One of the many challenges start to kind of bewilder the officers. They have a lot of twists and turns kind of throughout this case. To include jurisdiction, the crime scene technically is 200 yards into the Virginia state line. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Williams is outside of his jurisdiction, the sheriff there, right? Mm-hmm. Which would make a difference on how kind of the case would proceed, who would be doing the prosecution, if they were to ever find whoever did this. Sheriff Richard Vaughn was the Grayson County, Virginia uh, sheriff covering that area. So they call him, he responds out, and this was actually his first homicide as the sheriff. He had, he had homicide experience before, but this was his first as the sheriff kind of making all the, all the calls for the, okay. for the department. Now, Sheriff Williams, the one, the North Carolina sheriff stays, says, I'll, I'll stay, I'll help you out, whatever you need. Now, there are multiple victims in various locations, right? We've got the driveway, you've got the garage, and then you've got one inside the house. And the number one rule here is secure the crime scene. Mm-hmm. Cut uh, all access, avoid cross-contamination, and then start filtering through everything with a fine-tooth comb. Mm-hmm. All parties make the conclusion that the murder weapon must have been some sort of high-caliber gun. The father, Ron Hudler, his bedroom slippers were actually found outside near Fred's body in the driveway. And police presumed Ron might have heard something, saw something, and kind of went out to aid, like render aid. Right. But obviously, he was found inside the house. And they said it would make sense if a father went out to provide assistance to a son who had been hurt or shot, or maybe he heard something. He may have looked up, saw the perpetrator, perhaps was forced back into the house. And they also think likely that he was forced to go back in the house to get the key for the safe because the key was found in the safe. Got it. Okay. But who would want to hurt the Christmas tree farm huddlers? Locals were stunned. That, like, this was a beloved family. Like, the, they actually were well-liked, mm-hmm. popular. They, bought, they, they employed a lot of people in the local area. They were prominent members, well-liked in the community. And for something like this to happen, it, like, devastated this community. And the terror grows because now there's a gunman on the loose, mm-hmm. right? The fear and suspic- suspicion, especially in this rural area, continues to build. Now, as with many homicide investigations, officers start with family members and kind of work their way out. About three hours into it, Sheriff Vaughn, the Virginia sheriff, focused in on Bill Hudler, the youngest son, who discovered the bodies. Bill had some blood on his clothes, so they collected it for forensic in an attempt to either locate high impact blood spatter or rule out mm-hmm. you know it needed a forensic analysis they didn't want to believe that it was bill because this was a very loving family yeah but as we know family mm-hmm. members argue especially over family businesses and money so they couldn't rule them out as the crime scene continued to be processed officers discovered three different types of shell casings three murder weapons three victims oh my god okay so the cartridge casings were from a 25 caliber automatic handgun a 22 magnum rifle and a 44 Magnum pistol. Very unusual for one murderer to use three weapons in one incident. So do you think there might be more than mm-hmm. one person? Maybe? So right away, police were thinking they could have as many as three suspects. Like if you have one person holding one gun per person, right? Yeah, and this was January, 
right? January. Yeah. Okay. One perpetrator was shocking to the town, but having three was like absolutely perplexing. Mm-hmm. The media was all over this case as well. It was a very prominent family. The sheriff's department set up a tip line with the Virginia State Police. However, although they had calls, they didn't really have any solid leads to kind of go off of. Okay. So by the evening of the murder, investigators ended up talking to a neighbor who suggested they talk to a gentleman by the name of Freddie Hammer. Hammer was a firewood delivery man and may have noticed something or someone out of the ordinary. Like he literally delivers firewood to people's homes. And it's the middle of winter. Members of the community often saw him making deliveries and he had a sign on the side of his truck that said Freddie P's Firewood. Uh-huh. At about 1 a.m. by the time they get this information they actually go to Hammer's home hopefully to find something that he might have witnessed something. However, Freddie said he had been in Todd, North Carolina and was working construction so he wasn't even nearby. Okay. From all of these leads that they've been trying to get the phone tip line, everything, investigators got nowhere. So police then go back to the theory of trying to identify who might know about the safe in the garage. Despite this housing crisis that's kind of going on in 2008 you remember that? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Hudler Christmas Tree Farm was flourishing and was one of the largest employers in the area. Many people would have known about the wealth of this family. And Ron Hudler actually would carry around $20,000, $30,000 on him. Are you kidding? For what? He was a very generous person. Okay. So giving, and he, and I'll kind of get to this, but he paid his employees in cash. Oh, okay. Apparently most of Christmas tree farmers deal with cash. That's Mm -hmm. kind of their transaction. So there was no doubt that some of the employees may have been aware of the amount of cash that he either had on his person or likely had in the safe. I mean, a million trees a year. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> so the Hudlers hired both local employees for the year-round work on the farm, but then also outsiders during season, like for Christmas tree season, essentially. Mm-hmm. Hudler often paid his employees in cash, and many of them knew that the safe was there. So access and opportunity is one of the first things that they were trying to look at versus somebody who has been just like passing through town. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because he sounds like a trusting man if he's going to keep the safe in his garage. Sure. Well, I, there was a documentary that I watched from Investigation Discovery that actually did this story and there was one of uh, the residents in there that was like I, nobody locks their door around here yeah wow. you know it's kind of one of those towns yeah okay so police then started looking at the employees but since it was january and the season was over many of like the seasonal hires had left the mm-hmm. area they did request help from the fbi and immigrations and customs enforcement to help with the investigation and start locating and interviewing more than a hundred farmhands The line of questioning would be focused on who may have known about the safe and the large amount of cash inside. And as workers were interviewed, Bill Hudler's shirt, the one who found his body, the youngest son, Mm -hmm. was completed by forensics. And this resulted in no indication of high impact blood spatter or blowback from a gun, nor was there any trace of gunshot residue. So this pretty much kind of excluded him as a suspect. Mm -hmm. The blood on Bill's shirt was likely transferred from his brother when he got there and was, you know, trying to help. Mm -hmm. Now, as the dust kind of began to settle in the, the next day, Bill Hudler realized that something was missing from the home. There was a truck missing. Offers uh, entered this stolen truck into the law enforcement database as one of the suspects may have actually taken the truck mm-hmm. and it was distributed as a bolo, a be on the lookout. While officers try to hunt down the missing truck, crime scene investigators, on the other hand, find another oddity in the case. The victims sustained a total of four bullet wounds. 
but a total of nine shell casings were collected. So you have four wounds in the bodies, but nine casings, which means there were nine shots fired, right? but only four making impact. Okay. So there was evidence of more bullets than what they actually had inside the victims' bodies. So could they have just missed and maybe went into a tree? They could have, yeah. They could have been out somewhere, like lodged in the wall or something. But a lot of times, too, <laughs> even doing those crime scenes, like you would look for that. You would right. look for additional bullet holes. Just so you know, I have like this visual, like story in my head right now while you're telling me the story like visually Uh after speaking about the hallmark right I have (laughs) in my head I have the scene it's snowy even I don't know if it snows in North Carolina but it's snowy well in the mountains especially yeah you're surrounded by these beautiful Christmas trees Mm -hmm. and there's a murder like that's my that's my hallmark right there (laughs) that's my hallmark (laughs) (laughs) yes okay good I'm sorry So investigators thought if there was more than one person, there could have been an accomplice who maybe got shot by accident, maybe sustained a bullet injury or a gunshot injury, and then was no longer located on the scene. They might have taken that bullet with them. So naturally, they start calling hospitals, and they're like, hey, has anybody come in with a gunshot wound? Uh One hospital comes back and said there was a patient who was treated for a gunshot wound to the hand. This was about an hour away from the town. Officers think they had one of those aha moments, right? They're like, Uh we got Adam, at least one of the prime suspects. Now, after interviewing this man, he had a rock-hard alibi. Several family members witnessed him shoot himself in his hand. What the hell, man? How do you <laughs> shoot yourself? <laughs> we, just, we had talked about that a couple, oh my God. But a couple episodes ago. We talked about accidental discharges. <laughs> <laughs> so soon mm. after, Sheriff Vaughn, the Virginia sheriff, is informed mm-hmm. that officers have located the missing truck. Oh. He was going on Route 16, returning in the direction of the Hutler Farm. And it ended up being one of the employees who was provided permission to use the truck the day before. So another lead, shut down. He too was eliminated as a suspect. There were no leads from the employee interviews from the FBI and from ICE, Mm -hmm. which presumably finds investigators back at square one. Now keep in mind, we're like no more than 36 hours into this investigation. Right. So it's still pretty early. We also know that you gain the most evidence, like, immediately. Right, right. So Sheriff Vaughn returned to the crime scene to have another look. They could tell that a vehicle was probably backed up to the safe and potentially tried to load it. Uh-huh. The door was ajar. It was kind of like in, in the documentary, they had some pictures. And I tried to find some additional crime scene pictures, but it was like, it wouldn't let me capture it off the documentary and I couldn't okay. find it anymore. <laughs> but the, like the safe was kind of like tilted. Okay. Like it, it looked like it had been tried to get pulled. There were also indentations and scratch marks on the safe itself. Okay. Remember those carpet squares I told you to keep a nugget? Yeah. Okay. Well, the blood from John. John Miller's body, John Miller was the one in the garage, was seeping out, right? And those carpet squares were kind of seeping up some of that blood covering some of it. Mm -hmm. If this truck or vehicle would have backed into the driveway and drove over John Miller's blood, what would that have done? Ah, Left tire impressions, right? Yeah. So they're like, these carpet squares were placed intentionally over blood where the vehicle would be driving back up to to avoid leaving tire impressions. So this gave Sheriff Vaughn the indication he's not a newbie. No, and he this, this is, sheriff is thinking outside of the box. Yes. That's that's a pretty that's a stroke of brilliance right there. And that's his first homicide of sheriff, remember. Okay, attaboy. So then, yay, a possible mm-hmm. break. 
Uh The fire chief in the county in North Carolina told Sheriff Williams, who's the North Carolina sheriff, that he witnessed a firewood delivery man, Freddie Hammer, heading towards the Hudler farm at 9.05 a.m. on the morning of the murders. The fire chief knew exactly what time this was because on the radio, the obituaries are announced. Mm -hmm. Like at 9.05, either every day or maybe it's a daily like 9.05 announcement. And it was, they were doing the obituaries at the time when he saw Freddie Hammer heading in the direction to the Hudler farm. Now remember, Freddie Hammer was interviewed and he said, I was doing construction in Todd, North Carolina. I was out of the area. So Sheriff Vaughn decides, okay, I'm going to call the construction foreman that he said he was working for the day of the murders. Mm -hmm. The foreman said that Hammer was supposed to be there in the morning but he didn't see him until the afternoon aha hammer hammer got hammered hammered got hammered so freddie hammer he's described as an upbeat charismatic person eager to work Uh was a leader in the methodist church led bible studies had a smooth deep voice Hammer moved to Grassy Creek a few years prior. He started dating and then married a lady named Joyce Blevins and started a firewood business with Joyce's nephew, Jimmy Blevins. Remember Jimmy, okay? Mm-hmm. So regardless of his friendly disposition, he was caught in a lie. And as they looked into Hammer's background, they discovered that he owned an RV or a camper, which he kept at a place called Cripple Creek Campground. And that's about 40 miles away from the crime scene in Virginia. The Sheriff's Department obtained enough probable cause, got a search warrant, and executed a search on Hammer's property at the campground. While there was nothing necessarily of evidentiary value that was found initially, they called the sheriff, Sheriff Vaughn, and said, hey, somebody's been here. There's water that's in the shower still. Like, it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. So Vaughn's like, okay, well, it was at nighttime, so like, go back in the following morning and see if there's anything else that you can find. So they did. And when they arrived, they had a strong odor of kerosene on the property. Like, there was, like, as soon as they pulled up, they couldn't tell at night, but that morning, the next day, they were they could smell kerosene. Okay. So with this, they found a recently used fire pit with potential charred evidence. They found boot eyelets, you know, the like the little metal rings there the shoe laces yes. go through. So they found yes. boot eyelets and felt that it could have been his work boots. Uh-huh. And maybe he burnt some of his clothing, like there was some evidence of some remains of clothing. He probably showered before heading back to North Carolina. Now this is all a theory, and investigators needed to find proof to support their theory, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So they began canvassing security cameras between the crime scene and Hammer's RV location. So like I mentioned, it's like 40 miles. By filtering through various businesses and their camera footage, they found Hammer's truck passing a Sitco station, gas station, Mm -hmm. about one hour after the crime had occurred, leaving from the direction of North Carolina going into Virginia. And then about three hours later, on that same camera at that same Sitco gas station, they found him coming back into the direction from Virginia back into North Carolina. So they're like, okay, his timeline doesn't match up. He's not where he says he is. Uh Something's going on. Something smells like fish. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Something's fishy. So the sheriff's department obtained warrants to place him under arrest. But as soon as they got there to harass them, they learned he fled to Florida. Florida. He fled to Florida. Why can't Florida sit one out? (laughs) Florida. Never. It's always like, (laughs) get out of my way. Hold my beer. Well... No, 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 <laughs> yes. no. No, I just read her next line. No. Freddie Hammer had relatives in Punta Gorda, Florida. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. <laughs> uh-uh. 
They learned that he had actually had this trip pre-planned to deliver a car to his stepfather, like like to take a, take a car down there, I guess. Right. But they also feared that he might have like gotten rid of all the weapons and like they're sitting in the belly of an alligator at some point, mm-hmm. you know, between North Carolina and Florida. Yeah. So the Grayson County Sheriff's Department contacted the U.S. Marshal Service in the Punta Gorda area. Agents then conducted some surveillance and then they were able to find, place, and arrest Freddie Hammer without incident. The following day, Hammer was extradited back to Virginia, held without bond because it was a capital murder case. Now, while incarcerated and pending trial, police monitor his phone calls, his mail, continue to look for like that smoking gun for prosecution, something that they can use or something that can kind of give them a lead that will lead to more mm-hmm. solidified evidence because right now the case is primarily circumstantial. Yeah. But what about the other suspects? A week after the arrest, they comb through Hammer's truck looking for evidence and they locate burgundy paint on the back of his truck. After overlaying the impressions on the safe, remember I talked about the scratches and the impressions, they yeah. lined up perfectly with the truck's impressions on the safe. The height of the bed, and now this was the same truck that he used for firewood delivery. It says, Freddie P's Firewood. Mm-hmm. The height of the bed of the truck was aligned distinctly and perfectly with the scrapes of the, on the safe. And the scraping actually came from trying to get the safe into the bed of the truck. Now this safe is like five foot tall, yeah. two foot wide, like one of those, like you could fit a human inside of this. Those suckers are heavy. Yeah, yeah. You're, and one man is not going to be able to pick that thing up no, and put it in the bed of a truck. They're built for this one thing, and they, they you think <laughs> you're the only guy that's trying to steal a safe like that. Like, they've, they're designed not to go anywhere. Right. <laughs> so, obviously, he was not able to get the safe in there. He wasn't able to do it on his own. But what they did is they tied Freddie Hammer to the crime scene mm. because he doesn't go anywhere without his truck. Like, that's his truck, right? Mm-hmm. And another piece of evidence finds its way to investigator while they have the smoking gun now. Like, the gun is, is on fire. <laughs> Freddie Hammer's cell phone record. Oh, boy. Hammer called Ron Hudler's secretary the day before the murders and asked where Ron was, and she told Hammer that he was out of town. Hammer knew that where the safe was, he knew what was in the safe, he knew Ron was supposed to be out of town, he was there for the safe. Mm-hmm. He was there for robbery. Yeah. But as officers try to tie up this case, they become aware of something much bigger and much darker. Oh, boy. Are you ready for this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> they get it. <a, laughs> I can't emotionally handle this at this point, okay? (laughs) They get a call from River Valley Jail in Dublin, Virginia, which is where Freddie Hammer is being held. Uh Uh-huh. A guard was cleaning a cell, and located in between some newspapers, there was a handwritten letter that kind of fell out. And it was from an inmate that was writing to his girlfriend and basically saying that we're going to have some money when I get out. And this is what it said. Quote, when I get out, he wants me to go somewhere and get some money for him that's buried someplace. Then after I get it, he wants me to mail him $8,000. Then after I do that, I can have what's left. There would be almost $2,000 left, and that money would help us get to where we want to go and a place to live together. End quote. Mm. So the inmate was told that to go to Cripple Creek, where the location is of the campground, and in the barn there's two guns and $10,000. So also in the same fell as this guard is like cleaning it out, in the trash can there was a crumpled up piece of paper, like a note. Uh-huh. And this is where Hammer literally drew a diagram diagram of where the weapons and the money was located oh my god like <laughs> hello this, this is florida man 2.0 at this point <laughs> hello nail meat coffee yeah <laughs> it's true oh my god 
God. So investigators went to the campground, followed the exact diagram that Hammer <laughs> gave to this other inmate, dug in the ground. They found a cigar box with a cash in it, just as he described. Mm-hmm. Then on the other side of the barn, in some woven wire, if you can imagine, like a, not like chicken wire, but kind of like chicken wire. It was like wrapped, rolled up. Okay. Wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Inside, in the middle of it, was a 22 Magnum rifle. And then in a groundhog hole, literally like a groundhog hole, like the little groundhogs. Yeah. Y- yeah. A hole. <laughs> The groundhog, is he arrested as well? <laughs> I don't think they found his fingerprints. Oh, damn it. Okay. <laughs> the 44 Magnum pistol was found inside of this groundhog hole. Oh, my God. So the prosecution is like, okay, we got you, yeah. right? They go and present the information to Hammer's defense team, and they decide to enter a guilty plea. As part of his plea deal, Freddie Hammer would have to tell police everything that happened, uh-huh. and he confirmed he worked alone. He actually used all different weapons. Really? Yep. There were no other perpetrators. Huh. Okay. He explained how all three men ended up dead. On the morning of the incident, he drove up to the Hudler farm, and from what he thought, nobody would be there. He attempted to back into the garage, load the gun safe, and while he was doing this, Fred Hudler and John Miller caught him in the act, and he felt he had to get rid of the witnesses, like no eyewitnesses right yeah so hammer shot and killed john miller in the garage and then chased fred hudler out into the driveway hammer then confirmed that ron hudler had come out to see what was happening with fred his son Mm -hmm. was obviously in distress so he confirmed he got ron hudler held at gunpoint forced him back into the home get the key for the safe he ended up obviously then he shot him he fled with two metal gun cases two briefcases containing some sort of documents and a small black safe containing a tag hour watch plus the ten thousand dollars cash that's it that doesn't seem like a lot for three people dead oh my god so while he's telling the story he said that he remained calm calculated Mm -hmm. lays the pieces of carpet confirmed the pieces of carpet he laid on the garage floor so he doesn't leave his tire impressions in the blood he traveled then to his cripple creek camper where Mm -hmm. he disposes of the evidence murder weapons buries the cash showers in the rv burns his clothes and returns to north carolina to carry on his day as if nothing happened no remorse no apology no asking for forgiveness that's it but this is just scratching the surface well, I, what? <laughs> while being interviewed hammer proposed to investigators if the death penalty was taking off the table he would tell them about another murder that was unsolved oh my god no. this would be his nephew jimmy blevins the one he started the firewood company with who had been missing for about a year the Blevins family at this time had a $15,000 reward for any information regarding Jimmy's whereabouts. Hammer wanted that money. He blackmailed the family. <laughs> now he married into this family, remember? Uh-huh. Hammer said, I'll tell you where Jimmy is if you give me the money. So his attorney called him, confirmed to Hammer that the money was in his account. Then Hammer told where Jimmy Blevins' body was. The Ash County Sheriff's Department went to the location, found Jimmy's body. It was in a landfill area. They discovered his remains. Oh my God. Can you guess what Jimmy was killed over money money Mm. jimmy was killed by hammer over money now hammer supposedly owed jimmy sixteen hundred dollars in wages because remember they worked together Mm -hmm. right so he was owed some wages and hammer was mad about it he was like i'm not gonna pay you so i'm just gonna kill you Mm -hmm. so hammer pled guilty for the murder of jimmy blevins and ultimately (laughs) this is funny the reward reward money was retrieved and returned to the blevins family by court order Good. Yeah. That's that is just adding salt to the wound. I mean, come on. But God. wait, there's more. Oh my God! It's the fucking hamster. No, who is it? The groundhog. What, what did you say? The gro- it's groundhog. Things. It's groundhog. That stupid pistol. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> 
Okay. In prison, Hammer starts bragging to inmates about other people he's killed and gotten away with. Oh, my God. Okay. One being Julie Lovett of Johnson County, Tennessee. She had been missing since 2001. And I think it was like 2009 by this time. Mm. Lovett was 29 years old when she was last seen walking uh, near Trade, Tennessee at about 8 p.m. on March 21st, 2001. Lovett, according to Sheriff Williams from North Carolina, said that she had connections through a handful of people in town that she knew in Ash County, which is where the farm is mostly located in Ash County, North mm-hmm. Carolina, particularly the Horse Creek area. Now, those connections also led to Freddie Hammer through a family member. This is still an open case. It's a cold case, but they are still trying to find evidence that support his claim, but they just don't have the evidence to support it. Mm-hmm. He's just saying it. Another unsolved case, the murder of Tim Shatley, he was killed about 200 yards away from where Jimmy Blevins lived, His the nephew mm-hmm. that was killed. Freddie Hammer told authorities after initially denying his involvement, he was one he was the one who killed Shatley. However, they're not convinced that he's actually the killer. Sheriff Williams believes that Hammer may have been trying to enhance his masculine image, quote unquote, uh. or taking credit for other murders. Mm-hmm. And Sheriff Williams said, quote, Freddie's a bragger. He likes to build himself up and he may be wanting to build a reputation for his prison life. All we have is his word is that he shot him and there's no physical evidence to back that up, end quote. Now, police would eventually follow a trail leading back to Pennsylvania in 1978. Hammer, 18 years old at the time, was hitchhiking after working construction when he claimed to have been picked up by an off-duty police officer by the name of Charles Uffelman. Within minutes, Hammer struck Uffelman in the back of the head with a 4x4, fatally wounding him, and then fled in Uffelman's Monte Carlo. About an hour later, Hammer was stopped for speeding in Uffelman's car. Initially, he denied his involvement because they found Uffelman's body. He wasn't in the car. Right. Initially, he denied his involvement, but his story began to change. Initially saying I had nothing to do with it. But then he said as Uffelman became ill, stopped the car, threw up outside of the car, Uh Hammer slapped him across the face to like kind of bring him to, Uh like revive him. Hammer said this pissed Uffelman off and Uffelman punched him. Hammer defended himself by grabbing a 4 by 4 and hitting him in the head. Hammer also admitted that he stole $200 from Uffelman. Uh So he goes on trial. During the trial for the Uffelman murder, he got on the stand and said that this off-duty police officer made homosexual advances towards him, which is why he hit him with a 4x4. My God. And this out, like, completely outraged the family. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it only took about 30 hours of deliberation. The jury convicted Hammer of the murder in the third degree, but they did acquit him of robbery. He was sentenced up to 15 years in prison, but the prosecution was going for about 20 years. He should be doing life the hell you know it's the different it's the different levels yeah uh, first degree is obviously pre premeditated second degree is usually like crime of passion mm. third degree i guess i don't know, like manslaughter yeah so hammer appealed this conviction and stated that the prosecution's actions were uh, prejudiced because of the homosexual nature and the conviction was overturned now he would be retried but he was acquitted and he was released from prison in 1987 are you kidding me <laughs> oh my some God. of those people may still be alive had he not been released from prison yeah now for the huddler incident and subsequent confessions hammer was sentenced to seven consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole thank you yeah i mean you can't live more than one life so i know you might i wish people would like die and then like if they've got three life sentences like do it over again yeah and live their whole life in jail mm-hmm. so once warmly welcomed into this tight friendly community hammer now brags about murdering up to 17 people 
from Pennsylvania to Tennessee to Virginia, North Carolina, and some members of the same community actually defended him because he was so well-liked up until the point where police found the weapons and he pled guilty. And they're just baffled how one of their own could actually be a murderer among them, like living in their own neighborhood. Yeah. The last thing I found on this case was December of 2019. A memorial Christmas tree was erected at Ohio Wesleyan University, memorializing Ron Hudler, who graduated from OWU in 1956. Aw, that breaks my heart. I'm going to go watch this now. This documentary (laughs) sounds amazing. Oh, it was really good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. So that's my Christmas tree farm murder case. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That's my type of Hallmark movie. That's right. <laughs> Where the red seeps. Yes, that was in good. Blood. That was a good one. And that's and you know what? I don't I didn't know all that. Like I didn't I wasn't that familiar with this case. This is a good yeah, one. Yeah. Me either. And the more I like looked into it, there's a lot of news articles out there and I think he was in like Murderpedia, mm. but there wasn't a whole lot. I actually got most of my information from that documentary. Really? So, thank you Investigation Discovery. <laughs> yes. So now they're the second largest. Are they still, do you know if they're still the second largest uh, tree farm or did the family company continue, like the family business? Family, I I believe the business is still still thriving. Oh, so every time we put up a tree, we'll think about Hudler. So, I mean, it's possible that Freddie Hammer had killed up to 17 people. I mean, it's possible, but then again, we know. Yeah that murderers with that type of mentality also have a tendency to take responsibility for things that they didn't do. Yeah, they're For the notoriety. Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So that's my story. Oh my God. Yay! I'm ready for Yay. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Next time you put your tree up, uh-huh. you wonder where it came from. Exactly. You may have Apparently some... it's a thriving business. The Christmas tree? I'm sure it is. You only work. Do you use artificial or real trees? Artificial. I don't, Same. I'm not putting up string i'm not stringing lights up uh, those days are yeah. over pre-lit artificial tree mm-hmm. exactly exactly <laughs> it's th- it, it attaches in three pieces yeah base middle top mm-hmm. <laughs> although i love i mean i love a good fresh christmas tree like it, the smell you know is just i have it's lovely i haven't had one of those in a, such a long time but yes i remember my childhood i remember it it's it's memories it's good but well and my my husband being a firefighter Mm -hmm. he's gone to way too many fires where the christmas tree caught on fire because it was dried out and he's so he refuses to get a real tree Mm -hmm. i don't blame him (laughs) which is fine yeah 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 yeah. he's like nope our house isn't burning down (laughs) oh my god and at this point in florida the last thing we want to do is put a dead christmas tree on the road we there's too much trash right now after the hurricane (laughs) oh i bet (laughs) yep yeah oh my god oh so thank you for doing that story merry christmas everyone yes. merry christmas chatters yes. we wish you a merry yes. christmas we wish you a merry christmas <laughs> oh my god and a safe happy new year yes yes don't kill anyone okay so because we don't want to leave you hanging chatters for more information on this case check out after that crime chat don't forget to follow us crime chat with Nat and cat on facebook instagram youtube twitter tiktok see what's coming up next Yes, and remember, Crime Chat with Nat and Cat. Subscribe to our Patreon for bonus episodes, behind the scenes, bloopers, and check out all the merch in the works, including our makeup palette. And we have a yes. beautiful killer eyeshadow palette that Cat is wearing today. A little murder and Christmas going on there. 
I mean, it's red. It's red, red is my favorite red. color. It's blood red. It's blood red. <laughs> Be sure to check out our next episode. It is a bonus episode, and bonus episodes can only be heard in full yeah. by subscribing to Patreon. Bonus episodes mean one thing. Trouble. Yes. Okay. So you don't be ready. Be ready. I don't want to miss it. We'll see you next time, chatters. Bye. Bye.